Today's scripture readings are from the Gospel of Luke, and they're both about John the Baptist. Miraculously, Mary's relatives, Elizabeth and Zechariah, who were elderly and unable to have children, suddenly found themselves giving birth to a boy that they named John. John would eventually grow up to become John the Baptist. At John's birth, Zechariah was overwhelmed with awe at what John had done. And the first reading is a quote from Zechariah, as written in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. Zechariah said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he has spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from, and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors, and he has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The second reading this morning, also from the book of Luke, is about John the Baptist and his ministry. John grew into his ministry to fulfill one of the prophecies of Isaiah that predicts the time of the Messiah breaking into the world. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This ends the reading. Good morning. You know, a questioning listener, hearing this word, this gospel this morning, they might ask, wait a minute, how can this guy John be baptizing people? Because baptisms are what Christians do, right? I mean, you've heard it. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This doesn't make sense. How's John baptizing? Right? Christianity's not born yet. Do you see what I mean? Kind of strange. But, you're right. Unless you were to look back at the Jewish laws and the Jewish customs. Because there, you'll find that water and washing 
are rites and important rituals within this tradition. Washing characterizes preparation, preparation for offerings and sacrifices. You might remember in Jesus' ministry, there were a lot of questions about whether he was washing properly. It was a big deal, water and washing. It also signified a spiritual cleanliness. And it had to do with a person's sinfulness and real desire to become clean again, clean morally. The word baptism, actually, is um, derived from the Greek. That means to immerse or to wash with water. That's what baptism is, just water. So what John is doing here is he's simply calling people to the River Jordan, and he's calling them all the folks of Judea to come to this very important ritual, this washing, this baptism, in order to bring about the rescue of God's people. This is pretty big. So John wants them to repent from their sins, to be forgiven, and to get right with the God of their ancestors. He's saying, this washing that I am going to do is going to free all of us from sins so that God's promised salvation will come about and rescue us from our enemies. And it will finally come about. This is the work that we need to do to prepare the way for God to come in. And finally, God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So can you imagine these poor Hebrew people who have been continually under the oppressive thumb of one ruler after the next, and each successive one is just harder and harder on these people, and they still believed. So they're really psyched when they hear this message from John, come and be baptized. It's as if this very charismatic personality in Chicago said, all right, this is the year. The Cubs are going to win it. But you have to come out and you have to take the tour of Wrigley Field. People would come, I'm telling you, from miles around to do this ritual, right? At the end time, uh, at the time of Jesus, the Jewish people were really desperately wanting a do-over. They really wanted a clean state. They wanted to begin again. And they understood from their history and their prophetic scriptures that when they're reconciled to God through the the forgiveness of their sins and their repentance, oppression would leave. This was the overriding narrative of all of Judaism, is that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every man, woman, and child knew that God would return despite what they saw. So John is out there in the desert with his camel camel hair outfit and his eating of locusts and honey. And he's saying, let's prepare the way of the Lord. Let's make the path straight. So you do to, so to do this, what he's doing actually, is reenacting the Exodus story. John is bringing the people out to the desert. He's dipping them in the River Jordan. Their sins are forgiven. 
they're cleansed, they're coming out and they're walking into the promised land. It's a reenactment, this baptism. And they get it. They get it. They come out fresh and clean and ready to begin again. A restoration of hope. Even in the current reality that the Romans are occupying their land. But doing this act, the Romans better start packing their bags. That's their thought. That's their anticipation. This was an enormous sacrament about faith and hope, and they were all being baptized so that the Cubs would finally win. (laughs) And they would make room for God to enter into this collective clean sweep. The first gospel that Phil read was, uh, was John's father, who also saw this. Even when he was a little baby, it was a prophecy. And the prophecy was from the book of Jeremiah and from Isaiah. By the tender mercy of God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness, to those who sit in the shadow of death, to guide the feet into the way of peace. Clearly, everyone, everyone in this community could feel this electrifying hope with wonder, with possibility. It was about to happen, but first they had to prepare the way and sweep clean all of the dirt and all of the obstacles that were in the way of being spiritually tuned with the God of their understanding. And today, this morning, in Advent, we do exactly the same thing. Let's pray. God of hope, wonder, and possibility. Bless this time of Advent as we prepare our inner beings to receive you. Come to us through our words, through our hearing, and our meditations as we look for you to come again. Amen. Just get a little water. So John, oh, no, that's not the end. (laughs) Boy, I could do it that fast. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, Vicki. That was a long intro, I know. But but here's the thing. John the Baptist led the people of Judea back to the wilderness to offer them a way to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And he was saying to them to make room for God's liberation, to repent. In other words, repentance means to go in a radically different direction. It means to change your mind, literally. Literally, to change your mind. And go about a different way. Change the way you're doing things, the way you're hurting other people, and the way you're hurting yourself. And then, to receive, to accept God's forgiveness. To trust God so much that you can be totally confident that God will forgive you anything. This is absolute, total amnesty. To believe that God would actually be yearning to forgive you. To put you on a new path. To fill every valley in your life, is the language. To make every mountain low that's in your way. 
God's desire is, in fact, to straighten those craggy, crooked, messy parts of your life and smooth out the wrinkled edges that keep you awake at three in the morning. God wants all people to know this kind of salvation. But that miracle can only occur when you're ready to receive it, when you allow for that possibility. We have to make room in our lives for that miracle to enter in. It doesn't just happen. We have to pause for a minute and examine ourselves, examine the world around us, and realize where have we gone wrong. Before you clean anything up, you really have to see the dirt, right? You have to notice where the dirt is. And then things can be dealt with. Then you can start to work. Just stopping to notice where the dirt is can be an invitation and an opening for God to be present in your life. C.S. Lewis wrote, It's when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It's when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It's the very sign of his presence. And this is what Advent is all about. It's a time to notice the darkness all around us and to make room for the light of the world to come and shine in that darkness. Advent is a time of electrified hope, wonder, and possibility that something great is about to happen. So we get ready for that. We examine those shadowed corners of our lives, shining the light in those dark places, looking for a clean sweep of all that dirt, all that mess that keeps us distant from God, that keeps us captive. Now please know this. Please know this. God is not repelled by your dirt. At all. God gets right down into this messy spirituality. Gets there with us and gives birth to this hope and this forgiveness from that point, place. Gives birth to salvation for the whole world. In fact, God is born in a filthy, foul-smelling feeding trough for animals. Is that dirty enough? God is not repelled by your dirt or ashamed of your shadow side. But you have to participate in this, in this miracle, by humbly and courageously and honestly, willingly examining your own soul, looking at your own behavior, your own motivations. And this is the work of Advent, to prepare for the coming Messiah, the one who came as a little child 2,000 years ago and who promised to come again. And as we dare to go into that darkness of our own internal lives and discover a different way to go, we reorient our lives toward God. We tune in to God's frequencies. Now, there's many, many ways to do this. The spiritual practices from, what, 2,000 years plus beyond that into Judaism? 
But I want to offer you one really beautiful, simple way this morning. It's a very effective way. But I have to warn you about this because this comes from the anchor group. It was sort of uh, in the anchor group on Tuesdays, the men get together, and it's kind of like fight club. There is no anchor group. What stays in anchor group, what said in anchor group stays there. But this happened on Tuesday. Is that Greg Howes, we were talking about discernment, and Greg Howes had rediscovered this. I called him and let him know I'd be doing this, though, because what's an anchor group stays there. But So you get a little glimpse into the rough-and-tumble world of the man of Tricon. <laughs> well, what Greg brought to us is this daily spiritual exercise. Pretty tough, huh? It's called the Prayer of uh, Ignatius. No, it's not. It's called the Prayer of Examine. And we printed it in your bulletin. You'll see in the insert somewhere there. You can go ahead and look at it if you want. Um, we printed it in there so that you can take it home and give it a try. The examine is simply a way of helping you to look at yourself, a way of praying. And it's developed by a 16th century saint named Ignatius of Loyola. It's a step-by-step -step process of reflection and contemplative prayer. And it can take as little as 10 minutes to do this, or you can go in for hours. You know, that's the beauty of it, scalable. And there's just six simple steps that can be followed in just about any setting you want. So I'm just going to run through them real quick. Step one is to just prayerfully invite God's presence to be part of this process. It's an invitation. You know, it's just setting your mind and your heart and your spirit straight. Invite God to be with you. Step two is dwell in that presence for a moment. Just stop. Recall who God is to you. The access of your faith. Oh, hey, um, I am going to stop here as you recall who God is to you. Um, the post office said that they will be towing because they've got a, they're working over there today getting all the packages and stuff. So if you did park in the post office, everybody bow your head. <laughs> all right. If you want to go out and get your car, now would be the time to do it. And I will uh, I'll let you know later what I said while you're out. <laughs> it's printed in your bulletin, so hey. So step two is to dwell in this presence. My own sister. <laughs> <laughs> if you had enough sermon too you can just go out um, <laughs> so again this, this is the uh, the examine step one is to recognize and invite God in step two is to dwell in that presence believing that God is with you And it doesn't matter, you know, how much faith you have at this point. It could be a little, it could be a lot. Just whatever faith you have, whatever understanding you have of God can just be there. It's not dependent on your, your spiritual prowess or anything. So you just dwell. And recall who God is. Step three is to examine. The first way we enter God's gates is with thanksgiving. That's from the Psalms. 
So we are remind we, we think back on the day, if you do this at night. If it's in the morning, you can think back on yesterday. And you think about yesterday very specifically. What are you grateful for? You know, every day is filled with stuff that you can be grateful for. It could be as simple as hot and cold running water right out of the tap. It could be gratitude for that person you saw in the store that you hadn't seen in years. There's a lot of things to be grateful for. So we enter in, as part of this examined process, with gratitude. This church knows gratitude. We've done a lot of work on that. And so you make that mental, mental gratitude list, and you move on to step four. Step four is to invite the Holy Spirit to be with you as you think back on the day. This is the scary part. Invite the Holy Spirit to be with you. And once again, this time, examine the events that happened. So you think back on the day. You think, oh yeah, in the morning, did the commute, got to work, got the kids off, came back. Started, you know, what were your actions? How was your attitude through the day? Don't judge yourself at all. This isn't to, to sort of like get down on yourself. Just go through the actions and just remember what happened. And then move on to step five. Review the day with an awareness that God was with you in some of your actions. And you know these actions because there was a synchronicity of some kind. There was some goodness here. There was a laughter that was easy. There was an honesty there was grace, there was generosity. You know the things of God, and God was with you. But there were also some moments, if you're honest, some other choices, some other behaviors, that you might want to be better off going a different way, maybe inviting God into those when they occur again. And the way to do this is notice. I mean, you know, you know, when your kids get up and you're pretty cranky and there's tensions. Um, but notice, if you are, if there are certain situations that tend to bring out this worst self. For me, it's traffic when I'm late, is one, you know. I just start to get increasingly tense, and that's the situation. Or there's particular people that tend to set you off. You know who I'm talking about. So list those people. You might pray for them. And pray for yourself as you continue in these situations. So there are other people that seem to trigger negativity. And then move on to step six. As you notice the full spectrum of your day and your behavior, step six is to reconcile. I love that word. Reconcile and resolve. Sounds like music, right? Reconcile and resolve, you know, that note that finally comes. Imagine, if you can, that Jesus is sitting right with you wherever you're doing this. He's sitting right there, physically. Imagine that in your head. Ask for help. We don't do this very well in New England. Ask for help. Ask God to help you in these places that are rough and edgy and not the way that you'd like it to be. Remember your gratitude list. All the things you're thankful for. And then finally, wrap it up by acknowledging and receiving forgiveness. At that moment, everything's the way it's supposed to be. At that moment, forgiveness is real. 
Trust that you are forgiven. God can handle your dirt. God can handle your darkness. I don't care what it is, where you've been, where you're thinking about going. God can handle that. And like those good people who came down to uh, the river with with, uh, John the Baptist, you can come out of this mental baptism. And you can walk into the promised land of your new, fresh, clean, perfect, beautiful life. Purified, clean, fresh, ready to begin again. The examine is one way to prepare for the incoming of God. For God's presence, it's a divine presence that it's always, always when you're there will restore your hope no matter what. A hope that dares to light a candle like we do against the darkness that's all around us. This is our proclamation as Christians. This is an oppressive and unjust world and we see it all the time and we wonder, where's God? Well, ask him. Invite God to come. Hope we have is in a God who knows suffering firsthand. And more specifically, God knows your suffering, your anxieties, your concern for the ones that you love, your concern for your health, your unresolved grief. God knows your guilt. God knows even your depression. And like those Hebrew people who would not give up year after year, they would not give in, but kept on believing over and over and over again that God was good, believing and working toward a better day, discovering a better way. We too prepare the way for God's presence and position ourselves to receive the coming Messiah. People of God, hear this good news. This is good news. Discover for yourself this unexpected hope. Try the examine, right? Try it this week. Try it beginning today, throughout Advent until Christmas, and I guarantee you, it will heighten the Christmas experience. Do I sound like an infomercial? Try it today, and I guarantee Try it. Receive this gift of forgiveness. This clean sweep, this divine do-over. And see, maybe for the first time, see the remarkable and surprising fulfillment that is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen?